Hello, you're listening to Just Screen It, Case Studies in Creative Distribution. I am your host, Colin Stryker, and I am not an expert in creative or self-distribution. I'm an independent filmmaker working towards making my first narrative feature, uh, a horror film entitled The Grove. Um, so as I've been contemplating my own eventual distribution strategy, I've become sort of fascinated with the notion of self-distribution, but I've found that it's really hard with all the information that's out there to uh, really get a good idea of how it's worked for people. So I decided to start this podcast to help capture some of the experiences of those who have already been through it, uh, whether successful or otherwise, and from those experiences, help both listeners and myself better understand this really complex, crazy landscape of independent film distribution today. So each week, I'll be bringing on a filmmaker who has self-distributed or used creative or non-traditional methods to distribute their film. Uh, my hope is that future filmmakers can take the knowledge gleaned from this show and use it to make their own decisions on how to best distribute their films. So I've got a special treat for you today. Uh, Zach Lona and Anthony Gibson are two independent filmmakers who hooked up to make the movie He Who Lives in Hidden Lakes, a sort of mockumentary folk cult comedy about a mysterious man who lives in the woods and, in fact, may or may not even exist, uh, and wreaks a, a weird sort of havoc on a quiet town, and in so doing becomes a sort of a Bigfoot-like local legend. Uh, Zach and Anthony, after not really seeing success at securing traditional distribution for their film, turned full bore to the world of NFTs, and in so doing, found their way into a fascinating community of forward-thinking fans. In the interview, we discuss NFTs, what they are, and most importantly, their use not just as a revenue stream, but as a means of community and fan base building for filmmakers in this era of technology. So many good and educational things said here, I want to get right to it. So without further delay, here is my interview with Zach Lona and Anthony Gibson. Hello, Zach and Anthony. Welcome to the show. We'll get to the kind of the main gist of things, which is to talk about distribution. But before we get to that, uh, maybe just give a brief introduction to yourselves and what you do and how you got into filmmaking and, you know, just kind of some background information. Whoever wants to jump in first, go ahead. You go ahead, Matt. Anthony. All right, Anthony. Yeah, all right, cool. <laughs> Uh, sure, I feel sure. like I'm always going first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by design, uh, by my design. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I guess my origin story kind of harkens back to watching films with my grandpa. Uh, one of my first memories, actually, and kind of looping it into our project Hidden Ones, is being chased by him. Um, I think I was like three years old, and he put on this wolf mask, and like my mom had gone to God like to work or something. And uh, he literally just like chased me around the kitchen and I thought I was about to be like eaten by this like monster. So that might have something to do with the fact that we're doing like monsters and things like that now. In this <laughs> For movie. sure. But uh, yeah, just watched movies with him and then um, studied some like film theory stuff in, in college, made some short films and then moved to Chicago where I met Zach and we produced the, the our first feature film for this franchise, which is He Who Lives in Hidden Lakes. And it was just kind of off to the races since then. I now live in LA and, uh, you know, try to do whatever I'm doing out here. And Zach holds it down in Chicago. Okay. Are, are you a, a working professional in the industry in LA right now? Or um, Yeah. I mean, in, in this, in the capacity that I uh, work as like a producer for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some clients and things like that. And then, but mostly, yeah, I really just kind of try to focus on what we're building with Hidden Ones. Gotcha. Uh, Zach, go ahead. Yeah, and uh, obviously I'm a, a director from Chicago. I actually am not a super big cinephile, or that's not really part of my origin story. Um, I have two 
uh, filmmaking um, from uh, like a writing practice and before that, like a fine art practice. Um, so I kind of come, come at it with, with a little bit of a different angle, which, which sometimes has, is an advantage and sometimes isn't. Let's, let's, uh, drill down a little bit more on your experience with making your, your feature. Um, first of all, can you clarify what your roles were on that feature? Anthony, your producer, Zach, your director, yeah, is that how, yeah. is that how it, it, okay. So yeah, what, it what kind of inspired you to make this film? I did, I watched the film, finished watching it last night, enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, you know, what inspired you to make it and, and just a little bit of, of backstory on what made you go down that road? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll get, I guess I'll start with the logline of the film for for folks who haven't seen it, which is probably everyone. <laughs> the film is called <laughs> He Lives in Hidden Lakes, yeah. and it's um, kind of a comedy mockumentary with a paranormal bent about um, a uh, an internet guru, a rogue rookie, rogue rookie cop, and a cult leader who are going into the woods in search for this cryptid monster called the Hidden Man, and the joke is that he might just be you know, a, a hobo living in the woods, dressing in like old stuff from Goodwill. So it's, it's kind of got a couple of layers of, of self-awareness going on to it uh, paired with the mockumentary element. But um, I, I kind of, I, I the film was released in 2021 and um, I had started working on the idea in 2016 um, on graduating college. And I kind of went to my day job the day after I graduated. And um, I, I got down at my desk that I had been for that point because I had been working through college and I'm like, oh, nothing's going to change. <laughs> if I want to escape the rat race, I'm going to need to go live in the woods and and be a crazy feral hobo. So that's yeah. kind of the the initial concept for the for the film, and it, it kind of just spiraled from there. And uh, yeah, eventually we started shooting it. I started shooting it in 2018, and then later that year, um, Anthony Anthony and I got connected. Um, we shot it in uh, you know principal photography in 2019, and. Uh, yeah, from there it gets it gets strange, but we can get into that the distribution element too. <laughs> sure. Yeah, Anthony, anything to add about the the Genesis story and and how you kind of got started with making it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I met Zach, and we just kind of started meeting every week and talking about what we wanted to do with it. And I think where we really connected was this love of the esoteric and the supernatural. Uh, I hadn't really found anybody to do that kind of stuff with, and uh, as we started talking, I was like, "Oh, you're into this stuff too!" Like. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And eventually, yeah, we just put it together. We even, you know, the journey of, of getting that film made is like, you know, Zach really self-funded that whole thing. I've always really wanted to work on something that was kind of speaking to this village voice aspect that Zach so perfectly, I think, captures in He Who Lives in Hidden Lakes. It's something that really attracted me to the project was you have this this concept in the hidden man. And yet it's it's everyone else's perspectives about the hidden man that really informs who the hidden man is. And I think that that really became a really important foundation to this whole franchise that we've been building with Hidden Ones, which is, you know, communal folkloric storytelling. And that really is what I want to be doing. And so when Zach came to me with this project, it was like, oh, hell yeah, let's do it. And then we met uh, every week for God, months, like basically like a full year, it felt like. Um, we did a fundraiser with uh, photo shoots I used to do in Chicago where we would uh, get some actors and we'd shoot some headshots and meet some actors in the process and try to, you know, see if we were, you know, it'd be cool to cast them in projects and uh, raise money in the process for our uh, for our films. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of the the genesis of working on He Who Lives in Hidden Lakes. Can you speak to the actual budget at all? 
Uh, I, I think so. I don't remember if I've ever said it publicly or not. I think I have, maybe on other podcasts. It was about uh, uh, principal photography was was about 27K. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, post was, was um, you know, a little bit more of a percentage of that number. So yeah. um, all in all, I'll say it was, it was shot for under 40K, which, yeah. you know, obviously is a lot of money um especially at at like a no budget price point but you know like you said it did it did help that a lot of the sets all the sets that we built were made out of garbage and just <laughs> from the ground and um so we we really tried to take that money and just stretch it as far as we could and, and make that an aesthetic that worked toward the world building of the film um and and not just have it as something that's like oh it's a consequence of of resources we really wanted to leverage that into being something meaningful uh, to the final product. So, yeah, I, I think you did a great job with that. Um, it's it's quite obvious that you put a lot of love into the film and just kind of poured everything you had into it in terms of the resources you had available. So that that really reads. So you self funded it completely. It wasn't uh, didn't get any outside funding. Didn't do a, a crowdfunding campaign. Anything like that. Uh, like 98% of it, we, like Anthony said, we did do uh, those photo shoot fundraisers and we did have a, uh, Indiegogo, which, um, we, we got actually, you know, pretty, pretty okay amount of money from, it was like, uh, uh like $900 and that, that paid for the van rental. <laughs> so, um, but, but other than that, it was all, it was all self-financed. Yeah. Wow. That's a, a deep plunge to make. And, and, uh, I congratulate you on coming out with, with what you did, with what you had available. So yeah, and as a producer for me, you know, it was like a, it just felt really honored that I could work on a project that, 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 was, that part of the equation was already solved, you know, where yeah. I think it's like you're working, you're trying to find your way into maybe like being a part of a feature experience. Uh, and oftentimes it's about how do we get any of the money? And here we, here's this guy, it was just like, oh, I'm going to make this movie. And I'm like super ridiculously motivated. And I'm like, yeah, any like idiot would be able to know that this is exactly the thing to jump on. So yeah. really my whole relationship with Zach is just opportunistic, honestly. So <laughs> wow. we're, just, we're just two extremely opportunistic people. Yes. Yeah, we use each other. That's great. I appreciate the honesty on that. If that's what that is, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's why we work together so well. Yeah, cool. So yeah, thanks for that background. Um, let's uh, so let's shift gears a little bit before we get to distribution specifically. Is there anything else that you want to say about the the kind of post production process? You know, just anything you want to add there, just to give a little bit more flavor and background to the making of the film before we move on to talking about distribution. Yeah, I think um, it's a nice in talking about the post production of the film. I think it's a nice segue into you know where we landed with the distribution element of it too. Is that like we were in, we like I said we shot it in nine, 2019, mm-hmm. so we were in post right when COVID hit. Yeah, and doing ADR stuff was a nightmare. Even getting to the sound uh, the sound house um, was was uh, challenging. So. Um, kind of from that point on, the 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 future of the film was uncertain because we were also submitting, you know, rough cuts to film festivals and all that. Obviously, that whole industry, you know, uh, took a standstill for a while. It was kind of a serendipitous thing, uh, the pandemic for us, because it, it did kind of. Uh, I feel like it, it it affected our distribution options a little bit in a way that it wouldn't have if, if the pandemic hadn't happened. Um, and that's kind of how we have arrived to 
you know, the, the, the stuff we're doing with our self-distribution, which, you know, we can get into. Yeah. Let's talk about that then. So what are your, what were your thoughts at that time on, you know, what you're going to do with this film? How are you going to get out there? You know, obviously a lot of filmmakers, they finish their films and that's where they jump right into is film festivals, submitting to film festivals and hoping for that, you know, great film festival that they get into that Sundance or South by Southwest or whatever, and then hoping for that great distribution deal. Did you jump into it with that kind of, those kinds of hopes and expectations, you know, and especially under the, pandemic circumstances how was that changed for you yeah that was exactly the expectation as i think yeah. it is for for most people as as default um right. you know working in the ind independent space um and you know as we were going on and and getting just a slew of rejection letters from film festivals and you know that was to be expected on our part uh, we kind of went into it knowing that we had something really strange really kind of unique that didn't quite fit in like the horror uh, you know, underground uh, circuit. It didn't quite fit. It was definitely not going to play at, you know, Sundance or, or whatever. And so we, we kind of went for the, the festival route knowing that and, and not really expecting much to come out of it. Um, and it didn't. So uh, can I, can uh, I ask how many, point, how many festivals did you apply to approximately? Uh, 35, I think. And we got into two and one of them okay. didn't have a screening at all online or or uh, in real life because of the pandemic, but oh, we still yeah. got the laurels. Okay, that's Good. that's the only thing that matters. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What was the one festival you, that you got into then, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah, it was Midwest Weird Fest in in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Super tiny uh, film festival, but like really, really amazing for like the kind of film that he lives in Hidden Lakes is because it's yeah. it's it's in the name. It's Weird yeah. Fest. It's Midwest, and you know it's a midwestern film. So um, uh, the the programmer there, Dean Bertram, is a a, a fellow who, uh, who lives in Wisconsin. He's from Australia, and he's just he just lives and breathes the weirdest possible films that you can imagine. And that's kind of like a home for for movies like ours. Um, and we actually won best experimental film there. So we did not only have a long have a a prize win. <laughs> yeah, right, great. So obviously, did you go to the festival, or was it just online? Yeah, it was it was in March of 21. So um, it was in real life, uh, which which was great. And me being in Chicago and, uh, you know, my brother having, you know, uh, played a re lead role in the film, we both went up. Yeah, it was great. We got to, you know, uh, meet the folks uh, who are running it and everyone who came out. There was actually a, a pretty great amount of people who came out despite Eau Claire being a um, you know, a, a small town, small college yeah. town. So, yeah, it was a great experience. We're, we're super glad that, um, you know, that was the festival for us. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, sometimes those those little festivals in the smaller communities can be, you know, while not opening great doors for, for distribution, sales agents and things like that can be just a great experience because they have a, a really you know, often have a very loyal audience um, and a great community that just comes out and supports the film. And it can just be a great experience to just go there and just soak that in. Um, so after that, where did you turn next in terms of trying to get this film out there? Uh, we turned to NFTs, the weirdest possible thing you can think of for <laughs> distribution. Yeah. Um, Anthony, do you want to do you want to kind of give the background on this part? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, so the at the core of our film and kind of the entire Hidden Ones franchise at this point is, is uh, our monster cryptids, basically. And cryptid is a super, you know, a folkloric figure that manifests through, you know, a community. And for some for some reason, so like you have like Bigfoot, Bigfoot's a cryptid. 
uh, the Loch Ness monster is a cryptid. So creatures of that sort of, it's like a folk mythology type stuff that kind of exists in the modern day in some aspects and also throughout history. But, you know, that stuff, you know, older stuff is just like straight up myth, you know. So there's sort of like a little bit of a touch point to our current times off, uh, most often with cryptids. So aliens, things like that. Um, funny enough, this whole thing, you know, with NFTs and crypto is kind of really ramping up um, the January of 21. And uh, yeah, Zach and I were just looking at each other like, oh, there's gotta be something that we can do here with like crypto, cryptid, like, you know, for right. this sort of kismet of, of, of nomenclature. So we were like, well, what do we really have to lose here? Like, we don't have a distribution deal. Um, you know, I kind of, I was talking with Zach and, you know, I'm like, you know, anything that we do, like, you know, you put so much into this movie and like, we wanna do everything we can to kind of help get this ROI uh, and I also get just like an audience to go out and see it. Like, you know, I'll defer to you, but like there could be some potential here to, you know, really tap whatever movement is, is going on and just kind of try our hand and seeing if this can be a way for us to distribute the movie, get the word out and see what happens. Um, and so we just kind of refocused everything to like F it. Let's just see what, what we can do with, web three and blockchain and put this thing on chain somehow and build a, a community. And, you know, for, I think what it's like two years later, honestly, really to, mm -hmm. it is like grown a lot. And so I'll kind of let Zach speak to maybe some more of the steps that we took to, to get to where we are. But yeah, I mean, it was just kind of this, like, we have nothing to lose here <laughs> kind of mentality. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, maybe before we proceed with that, because I think there's still a lot of lack of knowledge about what NFTs are. So if we can just kind of take a step back and just explain what NFTs are so that our listeners know and can, you know, have a have a firmer background going into the uh, discussion. Yeah, this is always a fun, fun one, because yeah. even two years later, uh, uh, we're still kind of working it out. And so yeah. is the greater crypto industries, you know, how, how the heck do you explain this to people? Yeah. Um, you can really just think of it as a digital trading card that no one can take away from you. You can take it to any app that's on the blockchain. Um, uh, you know, blockchains allow you to build apps on top of them. And because they are uh, distributed networks um, that live on, you know, uh, pretty much everyone's computer, if you're opting into the technology, um, you know, you, you can build apps on top on top of them, and NFTs are sort of like your trading cards or, or pieces of media that you can um, you know own digitally, um, and then take to to different apps across the blockchain. So um, I don't know, Anthony, do you want to do a different take or add some color? Um, yeah, I, yeah, totally. Just jumping off of that, you know, if you think about a fundamental difference between what is sort of known as web two and web three and web three encompassing nfts blockchains yada 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 um in web two you have uh big sort of players who own most of the real estate uh in terms of attention in in the economy of people so you have facebook you have instagram owned by the same <laughs> entity uh twitter uh, and, you know, even like Reddit and places like this where people can go and like gather to a, a centralized location to conduct their communications, their interactions and things of that nature. Well, Web3 is seeking to do instead uh, of having the, um, those things be as centralized as they are, 
that you have your own individual web wallet. So it's like your own wallet with your own credit cards and things like that, uh, your own sort of things that mark your identity as an individual. And then it's as if like you are going into your own, your favorite cafe, you go to uh, in person, right? Or you go to a movie theater in person, you're bringing your, your wallet, you're bringing your own identity into these storefronts. Whereas like, it, it's like you own what you have uh, in this space. Whereas Facebook owns what you have in that mm -hmm. space. Instagram owns your messages, <laughs> like Twitter owns your messages. And what Web3 I think is seeking to do, at least kind of the way that we think about it, is empowering the individuals uh, more so than the companies and the entities that are actually in charge of your data and things of that nature. So I think we'll have sort of a, a new understanding of what data is, and I'm sure some group of people will find a wonderful way of taking advantage of that <laughs> because obviously it's just how uh, uh, capitalism works. But um, what's interesting is that right now, what we see potential in is this empowerment of the individual to have a web wallet, put their NFTs in there, and then providing utility for those NFTs. Like, what does it mean to have a Hidden Ones NFT? Well, if you have a Hidden Ones NFT that's a part of our franchise, you can watch our feature film. You have access to exclusive behind the scenes stuff. It's like a digital Blu-ray, basically. And it's like, if that's in your web wallet, that's verifiable. That says that you own this. Here's the serial number for it. Uh, now, when you enter the space that is Hidden Ones, you enter the Hidden Ones Cafe. Because you're a member, you have access to all the things that we have in Hidden Ones. So it's a... So, you know, a membership sort of token, a ticket, essentially, that can be used. Um, and at the end of the day, it's kind of a contract. It's like this contract stipulates that you have access here, here, and here. I'm just curious, what is Web 1? If, if there's Web 2, what is Web 1? And I'm a complete neophyte on this stuff, so. Yeah, I mean, do you, do, it's like, do you remember uh, internet sort of pre-Facebook? Um, yeah. Before, like, there were just, like, three core sites that people would visit, you know? Okay. Like, that sort of, it was, like information being on multiple websites uh and like being more ma in in mass like frequented yeah um and when you saw the smartphone and the consolidation of like app technology begin to happen that's when web 2 starts to take I place um, and zach maybe has more technical stuff that he can speak to about that yeah and how i've seen it described and this makes a lot of sense to me is that um web one is is uh, reading. So someone has a website, they write, uh, you know, what they want and you read it. And it's kind of like a, a one-way, you know, kind of transaction web two, Facebook, et cetera, is read and write. So gotcha. I can go on Facebook. I can read other people's stuff. Uh, I can also post my own and there's that back and forth connection, but yeah. I don't own it. Um, web three is read, write, and own. So everything that happens in web two is also in web three, but, you don't have this this friction point of of having to uh, you know live on someone else's land so to speak and and be kind of like beholden to whatever whatever whims they have about how to use your data. Okay, great. That's a, I think that's a great summation of it and and very helpful. Thank you. So the other thing that kind of interests me about this is you know me still get trying to get a handle on what NFTs are and how they can be used going into the future. Uh, you know, one thing I noticed that you talk about is on the one hand, they are something you own like a trading card. They're a collectible, right? Um, but on the other hand, you're describing them as a ticket to view content as well. And it's not necessarily either or. It can be both. It can be one or the other. Is that 
Is that true? Is that how you look at it? Yeah, yeah. It's um, the thing about NFTs is that <clears throat> they have no intrinsic value. The value that comes from owning them is whatever you assign to it, um, and that can that that can be multiple sources of value. So, for instance, you just said you know our NFTs are are collectibles. They're they're not visually tickets. They don't look like a ticket, um, yeah. but they look like a little. Uh, you know, freaky cryptid monsters, um, which serve as, you know, a unique collectible for you to own and enjoy as art. And then if you go to our, our uh, you know, our streaming site, it's, it also acts as a ticket. And that's, uh, you know, what we sort of defined this NFT is going to be. Because um, really, if you think about it, an NFT is just a token. It's It's a cryptocurrency. And in the same way that a dollar used to represent you know, X amount of gold stored in to DC or fe the Federal Reserve or whatever. Um, an NFT is just a piece of cryptocurrency has a certain representation. Mm -hmm. And in our case, access to our films and, and it being a collectible. Gotcha. Can you talk a little bit then about when you say that that they have the value that you assign to them? As I understand it, they're, they're things that have the potential to sort of increase in value, right? And it's kind of based on not the value that you, the filmmaker, assign to them, but the value that others assign to them. Like how valuable is this collectible? Just like a you know, antique car or something. How valuable is this antique car? How much is it worth to, for somebody to own this just for the, the sake of owning it? Can you comment a little bit more on that aspect of it? It's a, it's a good observation um, because when you think about, like, let's say that you, you listen to this podcast and you're like, this sounds interesting to me. I, I want to buy, you know, an NFT, which uh, if we didn't get to that, it's sort of the the parent intellectual property that contains our feature film that we, uh, it also contains uh, Anthony's uh, short film that he directed called Legend of the Vampire Fern and a whole bunch of other stuff too. Um, if you say, I want to go and uh, buy one, um, if you were to do that today, you wouldn't buy it from us. The only way you would be able to buy it is from the aftermarket, which uh, is is a site called OpenSea uh, in our case. Um, and who you're buying it from is someone who's selling it. So it's it's the exact same thing as what you described, like a you know antiques or, or you know uh, aftermarket cars, you know Pokemon cards, stuff like that. So it, it, that part is really the the exact same sort of arrangement where. The value of it is not assigned by us. It's assigned by the market, right? But as I understand it, every time one of those is sold, a percentage of it goes back to you. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's something that uh, initially was very attractive to us um, when we were getting to, getting into NFTs is because that part of the technology is that isn't possible without NFTs, right? That, that That's something that um, the technology does that is... Uh, much more forward uh, thinking and unique to NFTs that is harder to do, um, you know, in the Web2 world. For instance, if if you buy that Pokemon card on eBay and the seller keeps all the money that you give them, uh, none of it goes back to, to Nintendo or is it Nintendo? I don't know who owns Pokemon. Whatever. Yeah. But, um, and some people use NFTs to represent physical art or digital art, uh, like a painting or things like this. Um, currently in, in sort of the physical art space, if someone buys, uh, you know, uh, a Picasso painting for X amount of dollars, the estate of Picasso generally doesn't get a cut of that sale. And a lot of artists especially think that, think that they should, and NFTs are a solution to that problem. Um, as creators that establishes, 
um, another potential revenue stream that didn't exist before this technology. Sure. Yeah. Again, fascinating stuff. And the ability to always tie that back to the artist, I think, is uh, you know one that's really key and, and makes this a, a huge kind of upheaval in the way that we think about revenue going back to artists. Um, and I think that a, you know, a theme of this podcast will probably be how much artists get kind of screwed in the whole process and in the whole marketplace of putting their films out uh, because they're the first to put in their money, uh, not to mention their heart and their soul and their blood and their sweat and their tears. And they're the last to get rewarded um, by that system. And it's it, that there's something so wrong about that, you know, like all the, the traditional distribution, the distributors get to recoup all of their marketing costs and all that stuff. And they get to fudge the numbers as much as they want. And the filmmaker gets whatever's left over, which is quite often nothing. So coming up with mechanisms to make it possible for filmmakers to start recouping money for their investments more on the front end and less on the back end, I think anything that can do that is laudable. Um, so, and it sounds like this has the potential to do that. Yeah. yeah sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I just want Please. to interject real quick about, yep. about where we started with the project that, that touches exactly on that, on that part. Um, before uh, Anthony and I really started thinking about NFTs as ticket access, we sold uh, an NFT representing our feature film, um, a single NFT. Um, and like I said, we sold it. We made what, like $5,000 um, from the sale of that NFT, um, and the owner gets, um, you know, a physical, a, a bespoke one of one physical edition of the film. Um, it's like uh, kind of like a film as fine art. Uh -huh. And we didn't give away any any rights to that. We didn't give away any distribution deal or anything um, with the sale of that NFT. It was just a token representing the film as fine art, and um, that's. Uh, uh, crazy to me that we were able to do that, even though it wasn't, it wasn't a great amount of money. It didn't cover the budget, but it covered a pretty good percentage of it because we were working at such a low budget. And then again, if that NFT sells again in the future for an even larger amount of money, we get a percentage of that too. So there is a world um, hypothetically where this NFT could itself just recoup our entire budget. Yeah. It's hard to say when or if that will ever happen, but the potential is there because of uh, the revenue, uh, you know, the revenue royalty that that we were talking about earlier. So, um, you know, ours, our, ours is a perfect example of of how this technology can empower filmmakers to uh, keep their rights, make money and new revenue streams and uh, really be at the forefront of this this sort of next wave of of cinema because we do believe that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's fascinating and I think that like I mean one of the upsides to me it seems is that if you 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 may just make this one film and you know let's just be pessimistic here for a minute you may make this one film you may never do anything again it may disappear into obscurity and you may never see another dollar for it but on the on the optimistic side this may be the beginning of a great career trajectory for you and as your career is successful, the value of those NFTs will presumably go up, right? Because they're collectible tokens of you as a, as a filmmaker. And so you might not be able to recoup your investment for this film directly, but you know, three films down the line or whatever, when you make the big Hollywood action film and become a famous film director, 
these NFTs now are still going to be worth something and you will be able to get money on that. And if maybe if you know, maybe you just pay it off in your big Hollywood salary, but maybe you'd pay it off, you know, just getting uh, revenue from these NFTs being being bought and sold um, just on their value from, oh yeah, I bought this back when these guys were unknown and made this, you know, their first movie, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? That's it, exactly it. I mean, it's an opportunity to invest A in yourself Mm -hmm. And be like uh, the provenance of being like, well, this was created 20 years ago, back when they were like the like just indie filmmakers that nobody knew. Right. You're right. taking that chance on yourself. Yeah. And then it's also rewarding your fans by saying, like, I got in with them early and like I've seen them ever every step of the way and I've watched them evolve and I've watched them fail and I've watched them come back every single time. And that's a bit sort of a tangentially that's Zach and I always talk about how much we failed. Like that is like our favorite, like we do a lot of Twitter spaces. Like we're always talking with the community and like a key part of our conversation that we always want to keep going is the transparency of like, yeah, we tried this didn't work, but you know, we're still here. That doesn't mean that we've like, failed the bigger vision of it. But like what we want is like for our fans to see like, wow, these guys are really serious about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, our collections, our content, we want to reward them as well with an opportunity to, to be with us throughout that whole process. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you bringing up that aspect of it being, uh, you know, not only beneficial to filmmakers, but beneficial to fans as well. And, you know, I think that in terms of independent filmmaking, that we're sort of entering an era where people don't want necessarily just films, but they want film stories. They want the stories of independent filmmakers who make films um, and they want to follow that along. They want to follow that trajectory. And I think there's value in that. Um, you know, personally, in my endeavors, I'm building a pretty sophisticated website for fans to be able to come in and kind of contribute and be able to follow along with my filmmaking journey. And I think um, more and more filmmakers, I think, are going to be going that direction. So, yeah, I mean, you know, something that Zach and I talk about is like, the what if machine of what if Star Wars began the way that we began? What yeah. if what if Marvel began, right? And it's a bit like, you know, assuming, right, of our, of like, oh yeah, we'll be super big one day. I mean, <laughs> like there's definitely the hope of that. And I think that you can't be in this unless you're hopeful. I think hopeful, you know, there's, hope is a beautiful energy that, you know, yeah. if you're lucky, you can sort of have someone to, to, you know, have the hope when you don't have it. And then when, yeah. you know, Zach doesn't have the hope, I have it, we can pass it back and forth. And, you know, that's the power of like a really beautiful partnership. Yeah. Um, but like, if, if imagine what those NFTs would be like, or imagine what those, like you go to those early Star Wars collectibles and it's like, you know, like those are legendary, you know, yeah. like it, it says something about you as a fan so, you know, that you've committed to like either retaining this forever or like, you know, you got it on the secondary and you're willing to whatever, spend however much to, you know, be like, I identify with this so much that like, it means so much to me. And it like, you know, it says something about me that I am a fan of this thing. And I think that something that we think about is what is the ecosystem overall that we're creating? Like, mm -hmm. yes, we're, we're, you know, we're kind of inviting people into the journey with us as filmmakers, as media makers, but we're also trying to make sure that like, you know, we, we aren't just limited to one aspect of storytelling that like, there are ways to tell what we have to tell um, without being just like staunch filmmakers, you know, like there's so many ways to like develop lore. And for us, you know, there's sort of, 
you know, this all this talk about decentralization and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, well, what's what's decentralized? You know, story folkloric storytelling, you know, like village voice, like myths are decentralized. So for us, it, this kind of technology paired with the the storied nature of human storytelling, I think is like we see as like a really powerful engine um, for our future and also just the future of storytelling in general. Yeah. Great. Appreciate those words. Um, so just uh, to step back just a little bit, if I if I recall what you said uh, a, a little bit earlier, um, this was a this decision to go with NFTs was kind of made after your your festival run uh, for whatever it was and and not something that you didn't go into making this film thinking that you were going to go in this direction at all. Is that correct? 100% correct. <laughs> okay. So can you talk a little bit more about what that plunge was like? So once you made that decision to do it, how hard was it to learn what you needed to learn to uh, get the technology up there that you needed to get up there? You know, what what, what kind of um, process was that for you? I think um, Anthony and I were also pretty pretty well positioned to to enter into this as novices, right? Because we had both kind of dabbled in in, in crypto before we kind of knew the fundamental um you know aspects of the technology like wallets seed phrases um how to get money on you know off of coinbase and into your wallet things like that so um we had already had sort of a precedent um in each of our personal lives for the technology too um so i think um a, a bigger jump um as opposed to learning the technology was learning what we've been talking about um, to arrive the, at the conclusion of like what this technology can actually accomplish and reorienting how we think as filmmakers, where like Anthony was saying earlier, we're not just filmmakers anymore. We're community builders. We're uh, lore builders. We're, um, you know, uh, <laughs> economics guys. We're doing a lot of different things that was uh, a lot harder to orient ourselves when you take it in comparison to just learning the technology. Yeah, something you spoke to earlier, right, which was uh, this the idea of film festivals, right? You use the word hope, like hoping to get in, hoping to do this. And it's like, if if you take anybody outside of an arts practice and they own a business and they were constantly in this position to just hope for something to happen, to sit there and, and wait for an epiphany uh to save them in some way you'd go to any business person and you'd be like what the hell are you thinking like mm -hmm. you like if you own a convenience store you you have to develop the relationships that will help you stock your shelves so you can sell those things to people as as artists for some reason <laughs> there's this like oh well what you do is you you make a thing and then you sit and you wait and you hope <laughs> it's like yeah. No, that's not what we want to do. Like I, there was this initial sort of ennui of like, and letting go of like, oh, wait a second. We're not the chosen ones. We're not just filmmakers. Yeah. And then realizing like, oh, thank God we're not like, I'm not stuck in that ideology anymore of just being like, make something sit, wait and hope. It's like, now it's like, you know, Zach and I are obsessed with small business fundamentals now and, and like mm -hmm. trying to focus and like, what does it mean to have 
repeat, you know, uh, people coming back to you, building a community around your art and, and, and taking care of the community in the process and not just, you know, seeing, sitting back and being like, well, I hope something's in it for me at some point, you know, it's like business people get this. They know that it's about serving their customers, right? Why as an artist, are you rating just to be served so you can be chosen? So you're allowed to do the next thing. It's like, it's, it's a flip of, of, of a way of thinking. And I'm so grateful that like, we've had to go through this grief process of being like, well, you know, we weren't chosen for X, Y, and Z thing. And, you know, there's a, there was a lot of time spent, you know, in this NFT web three space with Zach and I launching stuff within this space, looking at each other, being like, why aren't people coming to it? And we had to just really face the music and be like, it's us. Like, we're not doing, we're not, you know, gathering the right data, we're not executing the right plans, and we're not doing, we're not really about the community at this point. And when we mm -hmm. kind of, that was another thing, it's like, we have to become more focused on other people and and serving them and making sure that like, you know, we're, we're keeping that up to date and we're not letting go of them at the core of this. And I think since we've done that, it's like, it's immediately seen results. It's like the second we made this about bringing people together, telling stories with them, everything's changed. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about that some more. Uh, what what kind of results have you seen? Can you comment on, uh, you know, sort of abstractly what what kind of community building you've done? What's come out of that? And if you can, if you can talk about numbers and how you've kind of done financially from this, uh, I'd, I'd love to hear both sides of that equation. Yeah, um, it, it's a good question because uh, Anthony mentioned like the failures and, and trying to reorient ourselves to figure out not working um the tickets that we the tickets the the nft access passes that we've been talking for our film franchise there's ten thousand of them and we initially tried to sell them for a certain amount of cryptocurrency uh they were expensive because that was how the market was the market was usually so we're like sorry hey, sorry the we'll market was our... the market was what uh, still having internet dropouts the market was what sorry sorry the uh the market was used to paying the amount uh, of cryptocurrency that we were asking for with our tickets. So we initially tried to sell this collection for money um, and that didn't work because of the the problems that Anthony was just talking about. So we decided to give them away for free. We said, okay, anyone who wants one, go ahead and grab one. And then they immediately uh, minted out, which is the term. And, and now over a thousand people own our tickets and that number is growing as we uh, you know, focus more on these community building efforts. So um, while that doesn't have a number attached to it in terms of finances, it does have a very meaningful number attached to it in terms of the potential for community. And also, again, the potential for um, aftermarket revenue. As more people trade these NFTs, we collect more of a uh, more of a, a percentage of them. Right now, they're like two bucks. They're three bucks. Mm -hmm. But again, uh, following that that logic and and just being able to put in the work, they might be ten bucks at some point. Um, they might be a hundred bucks. So um, uh, in terms of results, you know, it's mostly been about the people who are really passionate about what we are doing specifically are now getting in our corner. We have people that we can point to and ask for help, and in return, they get to be a part of what we're doing and influence the further direction of it, and uh, really just build this thing out with us. And that's so valuable. Hmm. Yeah. Anthony, anything to add to that? Yeah. I think, you know, putting ourselves out there in this specific way has meant that we are receiving mentorship in this specific way. Hmm. Um, 
And that means other people in the community who are doing um, like-minded things. That means people who see what we're doing and aren't doing exactly what we're doing, but are like, um, have a competency in, you know, some, whether it's comics or business or something, and we can go to them and be like, how do you do this? And I think that's been the biggest thing. It's just like being fully committed uh, has provided uh, a lot of opportunities because it's public facing. People can see, oh, these guys are serious about this. Like they haven't gone away in two years. I've seen, we've seen them go through all these different iterations. We've seen their branding change, all that stuff. Like, oh, like they're, they're serious. And I think for us, you know, we, we're, we felt like we were in an echo chamber until about six months ago. And then all of a sudden the community, like we earned the badge of like, oh, they're here. They're serious. They're here to stay. And like we have a core group of people now that mostly have come together through Twitter. Um, and because of that, there was like an actual in-person like film summit, which, which we call the film three next wave of cinema that happened in LA in October. And at that event, we saw all the people we had had all these online relationships with. And all of a sudden, like we were just like homies and friends, like, you know, it just like amplified uh, this, these connections we've been making. And we found a really, really specific group of people. There's like 50 of us at that time, you know? And like, we all came together and it was all because we just committed to this really specific thing. And I think if we had been kind of hesitant and stayed back, we A, wouldn't have the data of, have, of what we've gathered from failing. We wouldn't have it or we wouldn't know that iterating and, and kind of shifting our gears to being more community focused really actually would push us closer towards our goals. And we'd still just be in it for ourselves. And I think that like, it's been really important to just be all about it and be like, yep, don't know what it is, but we're all on this frontier together and we'll figure it out. That, that's terrific. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you've really latched on to the, you know, the community aspect of this, the sort of forward thinking aspect of it. And not to harp on this, but it sounds like you know, making your money back on the film is maybe not really that important for you at this point compared to all of those other uh, you know, much more sort of soul satisfying um, efforts, it sounds to me like. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that's a fair assessment, only because that was our focus for so long. Mm -hmm. And I think even if we weren't in NFTs, we would have the exact same problem of how do we get our money back for film, but we wouldn't have the infrastructure and the audience that we have now because we're focusing on that. Um, it, it, community is such a huge part of, of NFTs and Web3 um, uh, because of that sense of ownership that folks have by being a part of your project. So in, in laying the groundwork for that now and just going all in on this kind of thing, not only is it a soul satisfying thing, but it sets us up to then bring this to audiences who are willing to give us money for our, for our project. Yeah. We will, we've created so many films that are monetizable at some point and we've tried selling them and it doesn't work because we don't have the audience built in yet. What we're doing now and what I, what we think that a lot of filmmakers should be focused on is building audiences because there's so much content. There's so many films out there. What is different about yours where people are going to make money or people are going to, are going to give you their hard earned dollars to watch it. If you have that personal connection with a, a, a not even a large group of people, but a dedicated subset of people, it's going to be a lot easier to to uh, um, eventually make the money back from your film projects. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, that's. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Going forward, then, where are you putting? Your, where do you see yourself putting your efforts in in the future? In the, in the next year or two, are you hitting the pavement really hard in terms of trying to spread the word about this movie? Are you working on the next project? Uh, you know, could you can you comment on that? Where are you putting your efforts for the next year or two? Yeah, I mean, community building efforts. Okay. Uh, the What's great is that we have all these things that currently exist within the ecosystem. So when we're asking people, hey, come over here, it's like you may you may be coming because we're doing some sort of like lore contest or um, some sort of like giveaway, whatever. But when you get here, you see, oh, man, there's a bunch of stuff that I can engage with. It's like when you go onto YouTube and like you see a video and you're like, oh, I really like this content creator. And then you see this backlog and you're like, sweet. Like I, for the next two weeks, I know what I'm watching, you know, mm. I'm during my work shift. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I can, uh, you know, you have that, you're like, awesome. And that feeling of being like, oh, I can bake in with someone like, oh, I can just like, oh good. I can trust them to just like take care of me from an entertainment perspective for a little while. It's like that backlog for us does exist. And if you do want to, you know, bite a little deeper and get into the franchise that stuff that content is available to you but for us yeah it's community building efforts and see, seeing what it means to move forward and showing people what i think the biggest thing that we want to do is we want to show the community what their involvement is actually actively doing to the franchise and that's something that we think that you know will help amplify what we're doing but also give the community voice um, you know we're obsessed with the the concept of like fan fiction and what does it mean mm. to have your community looped in from a fan fiction perspective from the beginning where they're not even you know making fiction based off of things that are that have already existed they're actually co-creating with you in that process mm. um so we're really excited to see what the focus and shift uh, of mentality onto that does and in the meantime Right. Like, of course, we're, you know, I'm, my background is as a producer. I'm always thinking about where can I go get funding for projects? How can we amplify this? How can we scale it? And if people who, you know, if investors see like, wow, they've built a community, they have guaranteed people who are going to watch their content. They have this many active users. It's a no brainer to, you know, put money into what they're making so we can, you know, create these larger offerings. So we have smaller community projects, but we're filmmakers. We want to make big centerpiece like things that can bring people together and then have the the satellite content that exists around it that's just as valid. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Within, within, within two years, our goal is to finance a new feature film. Mm -hmm. uh, where do you see yourself raising that financing? Is do you, do you think that there's enough sort of, of a groundswell within this community that you can kind of raise that in a sort of a crowdfunding sense? Or are you still talking about trying to get sources of, of private investment? I think what's important, right, is you want to be really aware of the kind of pressure you're putting on your communities, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you're asking your community to constantly fund every aspect of what you're doing, like those models exist and that's completely fine, right? Like, like Patreon exists. I mean, Kickstarters have really, you know, that's, it was a whole filmmaking revolution to do crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think the thing that we want to be cognizant of is that there are things that we can do to create products that are being given or, you know, that are available to the community and those revenues are being used to, you know, support uh, what we want to do. Sure. Crowdfunding is always on the table, but it would mean a lot to us like it like as the leaders it, i view it as our responsibility to go out and like 
for the big scalable ideas, like let's go get the investors and show our community what we're doing for them on a large scale and not just be like, Hey, we really, really hope we can do this. Like, please give us like more money that you, than you've already given us. Like, it'd be amazing if we could be like, Hey guys, we got you. We just went and got this. We're making this for you. Guess what? Two years from now, you're going to see something. And like all the, like, it's because of you being here that made it possible. You know, it's it's trying to be cognizant of these equations and making sure that the goodwill can flow smoothly. You know, yeah. you don't want you don't want your community to feel like they have to, you know, go out and and you know sacrifice too much in order to make your thing happen. So I think right. there's a balance that we want to strike. Yeah. Terrific. Zach, anything else to add? No, that's perfect. Okay. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Perfectly said. Um, so yep, finally, uh if there's anything you wanna, you know, any websites you wanna plug any Twitter handles or any of that kind of thing you want to leave people with so that they can find you, they can find out more information. Uh, yeah. So our website is hiddenones.xyz. And that's kind of the hub for where you can go to our streaming site at watch.hiddenones.xyz. There's also a merchandise store. There's pathways into our discord and Twitter and all that. If you want to go to us directly on Twitter, we're at hidden mythos. Um, and, uh, there's also links to, to our discord there. Our discord is really kind of the anchor that we're trying to, um, you know, uh, get people involved, uh, involved in for this stuff. So I think that's it. Anthony, was there, was there any other, um, no, that's really it. And also just thank you for having us on and giving us your time and, you know, wanting to chat with us. It's been great getting to know you in the process. All right. Well, that's all for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Then spread the word. Tell your friends, because I'm just starting out, so I can use all the help I can get to grow the show and reach a wider audience of independent filmmakers and others who just want to try to understand this uh, crazy, crazy world of independent film distribution. Also, uh, I would love to hear your feedback, positive, negative, whatever. Comments, questions, suggestions, send them my way. Uh, if you have guests in mind whose experiences you want to hear about, let me know, and I'll do my best to get them on the show. If you know people who have experience with self or creative distribution, please put me in touch. I'm on Twitter at JustScreenIt. My Instagram is JustScreenItPodcast. Or you can just email me at JustScreenIt at DarkRosePictures.com. Uh, by the way, darkrosepictures.com is my in-progress website for my feature and my other projects, uh, but it's not really up just yet, uh, just a coming soon banner right now, but the full site is coming very, very soon uh, if you want to follow my work. Anyway, that is truly all for now. I have lots more great guests lined up in the coming weeks. I'll be putting an episode up once or twice a week for the foreseeable future, so stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.